Okay, so how many people were here the week before last when I was here last time? We got, we got over half, half-ish. Okay, not so bad. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about one of the most controversial topics in science and religion, which is evolution and its history and how we got here. This morning, we're going to talk about the most controversial topic, which is why Alabama deserves the fourth playoff spot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no? No? Lord save Okay. I'm like, Tennessee jokes. I was trying to feel the crowd. Uh, I, uh, so a couple weeks ago, we talked about evolution, right? And we talked about the science mostly. So we emphasized like, some of the classical examples. I talked a lot about language and how people understand intuitively how language evolves over time. And I think that's a really helpful metaphor for the entire endeavor of how evolution works and how things change over time. Um, today, we're going to do a little more of the scripture theology side. And like one week on evolution and theology... So you can go in so many different directions, right? I could spend five weeks just on Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and talk about like a, a scripture of theology. I could talk about um, the Imago Dei and what it means to be made in the image of God and how modern biology and life science has affected that. And we're going to talk about Imago Dei a little bit. I could talk about the history of how science and evolution has been used in really racially motivated ways by Western science and how we've really failed on that front. I could talk about a lot of things. You could talk about sin and redemption. You could talk about the fall. You could talk about suffering in nature and disasters, etc. right? So you can go in a lot of different directions when you're talking about evolution. So I'm going to generally focus on different Christian ways of looking at this issue. That's kind of the, the overall goal. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Imago Dei. I'm going to talk a little bit about Darwin and his personal life. But if there's a topic that you're really itching to get at. Uh, I'm going to try and leave plenty of time at the end for questions. And if we're touching on something, if we're touching on something that's interesting to you, by all means, raise your hand and we'll see if we can talk about it. Maybe I'll tell you to wait and we'll talk about it afterwards if I don't have a good answer ready to go. Um, or I'll make my wife answer the question. Um, but that's the, the general outline for the morning. How do you feel? Okay. Um, first off, what makes someone a Christian? Confession. Real question. A confession. Which confession? That Jesus Christ is the Savior, Son of God. Okay. Is that it? No. No. What else makes someone a Christian? Is that necessary? I think Paul said uh, you have to believe that he was raised from the dead. Okay. Okay. Resurrection. So there was a Christ. It's resurrected. What are other central Christian issues? Fruits that you bear. Absolutely. Fruits that you bear. How you live in this world, for sure. But I'm getting at, like, we, some issues in Christian world are central, right? And we cannot compromise on those. Like, the Nicene Creed is kind of the, the default short list of basic Christian fundamental beliefs. Um, but some things we can disagree on, right? So, is baptism necessary? I would say yes, right? But when, when actually, when does Church of Christ baptize? Do you do believers' baptism or infants? Believers. Believers' baptism. All right, I grew up, I'm, I'm with you. But I was dumbfounded when I went to college and realized that that's like a relatively minority view within the broader Christian world. So all my Methodist friends were sprinkled as kids, and I thought, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Like, are you, are you okay? Because um, like, we, like, we were taught as kids that sprinkling is like, 
okay, but only if you don't have enough water around. So it was like a, it was, I, I had this like distinct impression as a kid that like, they're still Christians, but you should, maybe there was a drought and you should take pity on them, right? So that was like my entire viewpoint on baptism. Come to find out that's like a, like dunking teenagers is not how everyone does baptism, right? So like some things in Christian world are central. And some things in Christian world don't have to be central, and we can agree to disagree on that issue. And I think the, probably the most important thing in my mind about the topic of evolution and theology is this is a topic that good Christians can agree to disagree on. Right? There's this Augustine quote I really like. It says, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. It means on the things we have to agree on, let's agree on that, right? And we don't have to pretend that Muslims and Christians believe exactly the same thing, right? Because we don't. But in non-essentials, like do you baptize as an infant, or do you sprinkle, or do you dunk as a teenager, etc. Like, it's okay that different denominations have different viewpoints on that. And in all things, we should be charitable to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I feel like sometimes we put evolution in the essentials box, and then the church falls into infighting. But I think... This really is a topic that good people can agree to disagree on. Like, I work at First Baptist Nashville, and my supervising pastor and I, like, don't always agree on all the details about evolution and theology, right? But we can still work together and do good things. So I feel like sometimes this issue has become a little more divisive than it needs to be in the church. So I wanted to, like, lead with that. Um, And for, like, a... A historical, a brief historical survey about the divisiveness of this issue. Um, does anybody know who these two guys are? Mendel. Say again. Gregor Mendel. Gregor Mendel. Very good. Are you? You're the. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're the genesis. Why is Mendel so important? Well, he's important because of the rules of heredity. He pretty much established. Yeah, so leave it to the geneticist. This is the father of modern genetics, um, Gregor Mendel. What's he wearing? Yeah, he was a priest. So behind Darwin himself, I think it's fair to say, and I think you would agree, that Gregor Mendel is arguably the most to credit for the modern view on evolution. Right? And not only was he a Christian, he was clergy. Right? He like lived in a, in a monastery, effectively, where he was in charge of a group of religious brothers. Um, how about the other guy? Here's my hint. It's not Einstein, but... A little more niche. This is um, uh, George Lemaitre. Lemaitre was a Belgian priest, um, I can know. And he is credited as being the father of the Big Bang. So you have these two guys who, if you were to ask people what's the most controversial topics in science and religion today, evolution and the age of the universe would be like pretty high up on the list, right? And Lemaitre is the guy who convinced Einstein that a Big Bang was a good idea, and then Einstein championed it, and now it's modern physics, right? Um, but both of them were not only the leading Christians, they were both clergy. There's this great story about how the Pope at the time, this is like 1910s for George Lemaitre, the Pope at the time heard about the Big Bang and said, well, that settles it. There must be a God. We're going to write up a statement of celebration and victory. And there you have it, everybody. Christianity's right. And Lemaitre is like, slow down a little bit on that. But compared to today's world, right, like you have people talking about 
the Big Bang and Christianity, and it's not the foregone conclusion that therefore Christianity must be right if there was a Big Bang. Like, you, you look at the history of this issue, and it feels more divisive today than it has been in history. That's just, that's the general point I'm trying to make. And if you look at other Christians who we care about in this time period, C.S. Lewis, believed in evolution, Billy Graham, believed in evolution, St. Augustine, who I just quoted, believed in a, a non-literal reading of Genesis. Tim Keller wrote a great article on evolution for a company I like called BioLogos about how over the last few years he's really shifted his mind a little bit on some of this. So the, the point of all this is that it can often feel like a very polarizing, divisive issue, but it doesn't have to be. And if you look at the history of science and religion and the history of the church, it hasn't always been a divisive, polarizing issue. Any questions? Okay. I want to talk about Darwin for just a minute. I feel like Darwin almost gets a little, a little bit too much credit for... He, like, I think Darwin would be a little amused at the, his central place in this conversation today because he wasn't seen as that big of a deal in his lifetime. Um, he's a bigger deal now than when he was alive. So there's a, an interesting thing there when you read his notes. But Darwin... Um, studied to be a priest, right? He trained to be an Anglican priest. Um, he went on these grand adventures, and if you've watched Master and Commander, like the naturalist figure is based on Darwin. So he went on these great sea voyages, and took all these notes, had all these observations about nature, and he did become an agnostic later in his life. Um, but that's mostly because his daughter died. His favorite daughter died when he was in middle age, and he could never get over it, and he could never forgive God. So it's true that Darwin was no longer a Christian on his deathbed, but it's not because of evolution. So I feel like that's a little, that history has become a little jumbled. Um, and then you have all these stories about how he, he did become a Christian on his deathbed, and most people think that those are rumors that we made up because we wanted to pretend he was a Christian on his deathbed. Um, but Darwin gets, like, a bad rap on religion. And his wife and kids kept going to church uh, for the rest of his life. And it wasn't until pretty late in his life that he stopped going to church at all. So I feel like he's given a little bit of an outsized perspective. Um, Darwin's great work that became the, the summary view of his perspective on evolution is called On the Origin of Species, published in the late 1850s. And this is the, the closing paragraph I'll read for us. There is a grandeur in this view of life with its several powers, having been originally breathed by the creator into a few forms or into one. And that whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity, from so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. Like... From the way the modern conversation on science and religion happens, you would, like if, if you heard Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or one of the new atheists talking about Darwin, you would assume that he was like a raving atheist. But you read this, in his first evolution text, um, there's a grandeur in this view of life. The creator has breathed life into the world and the few forms, and they have gone spiraling on in endless forms, most beautiful and wonderful. That's, that doesn't sound like a, a violent atheist to me. Um, questions? Okay. What is, um, 
When you start talking about science and religion, your terms get jumbled. So what does creation mean? The, the noun, not the verb. Not like I create something. But when we as Christians talk about creation, what does it mean? Origins. Origins, yeah. And more generally, it means, what is God's great creation? The universe. The universe, everything, right? What is creation... Isn't that typically preceded by young earth? Yes. When we, when we talk about it culturally? Yes, absolutely. So we'll go ahead and you have young earth creationism. Let's go. And then you have what we call old earth creationism. And then you have what I'll call um, evolutionary creationism. And it's, it's tough because, like, I am not a young earth creationist. What, am I, but when people ask me if I'm a creationist, I have to ask what they mean by that, right? So, like, do I believe God made the world and the world is God's creation? Yes. I use creation language a lot. I use creation care language a lot for why Christians ought to care about nature. Um, I'm into using creation as a term. But creationism often means young earth creationism. So let's talk about the distinctions a little bit. Um, can anybody think of a young earth creationist organization or person? Or, or, or like, like there are lots of young earth creationist people that may be in this room. Answers in Genesis, yeah. That's the big one. Answers in Genesis. And Ken Ham is kind of their, their ringleader. And he's a... Uh, an Australian, the Ark Encounter in Kentucky is run by Answers in Genesis. Um, he's also super sharp. If you haven't seen Ken Ham's debate with Bill Nye, it's really worth watching, regardless of what you think about the issue. Because um, I loved Bill Nye as a child, but he's not a great science communicator, which is this odd position for me to be in. Um, like I agree with Bill Nye on many, many things, but. And then he had an argument with Ken Ham, and Ken Ham just like clearly had the upper hand because he, he studied more. Um, so, answers in Genesis. Can anybody think of an old Earth creationist group? Biologos. Biologos. Okay, good question. I'm going to put Biologos over here. Intelligent design. Yes. So that, that's the question, right? It's like, where does intelligent design fit into this conversation? And I used to do a fourth column where I would put intelligent design right here in between the two. And over time, I realized it was a little redundant. Um, intelligent design is a non-topic, right? Like, do I believe in intelligent design? I believe that God is intelligent and God designed the world. But a lot of the times, intelligent design implies a specific view that science can't explain everything about the origins of life, etc. Right? But the, the bigger problem with intelligent design is it's not explicitly Christian um, for putting it into this model. Like, there are Muslims who are intelligent designers. There are non-theists who are intelligent designers. Because intelligent design is that there's, there's some being who made the earth, who made the world, and we can see their design in it, but it doesn't... Like, that's one argument, and then you have to connect that to the Christian God a little separately. So, for our purposes, I'm going to fold intelligent design into older creationism a little bit. But we can come back around to that. There's a, there's a group called Reasons to Believe that is old earth 
creationists. Let's do let's do a spreadsheet on this. Um, all these groups believe in God. Yes. All these groups believe in a good God, God who is good and made the world. Yes, yes, yes. All these groups would say that the Bible is the word of God. Um, and they might define that a little differently, but they all care about Scripture. And this is... This is it. This is all they agree on. No, like, if you, if you, if you dig into theology, right, they all think Jesus was important. They all think Jesus was uh, the Messiah who came to the earth and, like, we're in Advent right now. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. Christ died, was resurrected, etc., etc., etc. There's, like, a lot of theological issues that these groups all agree on. And I'll go back to the Augustine quote. In essentials, unity, and then in non-essentials, liberty. I would say these, in general, are the essentials. Um, Bible, Christ, resurrection, etc. Like the Nicene Creed, you may have had to memorize at some point. That's what I would call the essentials, right? And all these groups are in agreement on the essentials. And it's when you dig into some of the nitty gritty details that's where you come into some of the the more distinctions. So let's let's dig into those a little bit. When Genesis one says days. What do young earth creations think it means by day? Six literal 24 hours. Yes. Um, what would an old earth creationist say about days? Symbolic of some other time. Yeah, absolutely. So the Hebrew word is yom, like yom kippur. And an old earth creationist would say something like, um, a day can just mean an era, like when people say back in Lincoln's day, right? So like a day is a time period, so it would be an era. Um, evolutionary creationists would say that day is metaphorical language, and we may not have time to get into this, but you're, you're asking the wrong questions of Scripture. You're focusing in the wrong places, so I'm going to leave that blank for a second. What about the age of the earth? What would the first crowd say? The Bishop Usher time frame. Exactly, which is six, ball, to ten. six to ten ballpark. Sometimes they go as high as twenty. Usually, six to ten thousand years. What about old Earth creationists? Universe or Earth? Earth. Yes, precisely. Billion years, same thing with BioLogos. What about the universe? The age of the universe. 13.5, oh, 6 to 10. 6 to 10 plus 1 day. 6 to 10 plus 1. <laughs> 6 to 10 plus 1. That's my. If I don't want to have a long conversation and somebody asks me how old the universe was, I say older than me and younger than God. Uh, <laughs> what about these crowds? What would they say about the age of the universe? 10 to the ninth. 10 to the ninth. Yeah, I think the scientific answer is ballpark 14 billion years old. Okay, what about how 
the stars and planets were made? Did God make the stars and planets in a miraculous insight, or did they happen by natural processes? Or was it just, they're not there, God snaps his fingers, and the next minute, all of the universe is there. What would young earth creationists say? Yes, miracle, miraculous process. What about reasons to believe in biologos? Natural, yeah, natural processes. And this is where you become, it gets a little tricky with your language, right? Because biologos and reasons to believe would say, just because you can explain something scientifically, that doesn't make it not a miracle, right? Because God is in charge of these natural processes, so it's like, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a poor question. Is did God do this by miracle or by nature? It's like asking when Michelangelo carved the statue, was it Michelangelo doing it or was it the chisel? Right? Because these groups would say that evolution and the laws of physics were made by God, and therefore they are God's instruments in this world. So it's a it's a false split to ask whether they were done by miracle or by nature. Let's dig on a little farther. Did major life groups, like birds and reptiles, did they come about by a miracle or by natural processes? These guys would say a miracle. <coughs> These guys would say natural processes. And when you get to the next step, which would be minor differences in life forms, like different ethnicities or like different types of birds, everybody would say natural processes. I don't know, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head any, any group who denies that, um, who denies, this would be, I don't like this terminology, but who would deny microevolution. Like see how different bird species differentiate over time. Like we saw the clip a couple of weeks ago of the bacteria. How the bacteria, you can see them evolve in real time, and that's the foundation of much of modern medicine. I don't know of any Christian group who would deny that level of evolution. But these are the distinctions. What about the Big Bang? By Logos crowd would be yes. Reasons to believe would probably be yes, and then answer to Genesis would be no, and then you you have like the whole host of questions that come with this, like radiocarbon dating. These groups would say yes, this group would say no. Any any questions about all this? Think about yes, ma'am. What is the difference then between old Earth and evolution? Yeah, and it's a spectrum, and an important thing to remember which was a little confusing for me at first, is that there's as much diversity within these groups as there are between these groups, right? So I was reading, so the guy behind Reasons to Believe is this guy named Hugh Ross, and he has, he has a PhD in physics, sharp dude, well-educated, um, and someone was attacking him, and I couldn't figure out what the person's viewpoint was, right? And I thought, are they like an atheist scientist, or are they like... A young earth creationist hitting him from this side, or they biologos hitting him from this side. It was another old earth creationist who thought his view on the major life groups was just like a little off, right? So like, 
Just like in politics, sometimes in your own party there's a lot of fighting, just as there is between the parties. Right? So, good question. I think one major potential difference is the, like there's a lot of old earth creationists who are just a little uneasy about yes. evolution, you know, about the descendancy from apes and that how that doesn't make us special and the origins of life part of things. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so that's where like on old earth creationists, that would range from, in many ways, I'm an old earth creationist. I believe God created the earth and I believe in an old earth, right? The distinction here is whether major life groups evolved naturally or by miracles. Actually, that is a, whoops. That's the distinction. I, um, yeah, that's the distinction, is that an older, no wonder you asked because they were all exactly the same. Um, that's the distinction, is that groups like Reasons to Believe don't believe in common descent. They don't believe that if you go back on the family tree, you will come to the root of all of life on Earth. They, it would be, um, oh, there's a word for it. There's a really good word for it that escapes me at the moment. Instead of a family tree branching backwards to a single source, they um, have multiple family trees for different life forms on Earth. So humans have a family tree, and maybe apes have a family tree. And within that tree, there's a little bit of evolution, like ethnicity, etc. But those tree branches don't converge when you go farther up. Good question. Yeah. So playing off of what he said, how do they differ on how humans come into the picture and how they are made distinct from the rest of creation? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, if you are... If your answer is in Genesis, easy, easy answer, right? right? Therefore, God made people on the sixth day, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you're having a conversation here, reasons to believe would say God made an Adam and Eve who were literal, and they have had descendants who have peopled the earth, right? Um, and, uh, not answer to Genesis, biologos and an evolutionary creation view would accept all of modern science generally on evolution and genetics. Um, but would say that that doesn't mean you have to give up on being made in the image of God as a concept. Did that answer your question? Most of it. And, and the, the follow-up to that would be then, since at some level, yeah. nobody's ever going to satisfactorily answer this, how does, how does where they land on being made in the, uh, on their view of being made yeah. and being made in the image of God affect how they view people in the present day? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think my first thought would be it doesn't have as big of an effect on the rest of their worldview as you might think. Um, that would be my, okay. my first thought. Because all these groups would say image of God is something that applies to all people, sure. regardless of race, religion, background. If you're, a, if you're a homo sapien on this planet, you are made in the image of God. Um, so all people would affirm that. All, all people on this board would affirm that. Yeah? Who, who, do they all accept the all, like the Neanderthal and, and other types of humanoids? Where do they fall into the... That's a good question. Um, so... Evolutionary creationism would say, yes, we accept the, the fossil record and the scientific record on that. 
These groups, it would depend a little bit on who you ask. Like, Answers in Genesis crowd would have something slightly different to say than a different young earth creationist crowd sometimes. Old earth creationist crowds, some would say that Neanderthals were within the human branch of the tree of life and fell off, and they were like our, our long-lost cousins. Some would say Neanderthals were their own branch on the tree of life, and they were cut out at the fall. It would it'd be, it'd be hard for me to give a general answer. Um, all right. The the does anyone accept the an insertion that we have evolution coming down all this, but then at one point God inserts humanity? Uh, Where does that? Yeah. So that's a good question. It's a little tricky because in and one the, the the background is that it seems like that wherever humanity has gone, it disrupted nature. Therefore, it doesn't quite fit. Yeah, um, so I'm sure there's a Christian group somewhere who believes in insertion. <laughs> I, I believe pretty firmly that someone believes that. Um, I, I, may, I may not be certain exactly which group would affirm that perspective. Um, it's tricky because in Genesis 2 and 3, or excuse me, in Genesis 1, you have people, and then people, animals are made, and then people name the animals, so people kind of become the first. So, like, the timelines are a little jumbled on Scripture. But... Any any other questions on this? Yes, sir. Uh, isn't it uh, Hugh Ross that yeah. has a theory on the young Earth and the old Earth being right at the same time? You know, uh, Hugh, Hugh Ross is the president of Reasons to Believe, which is uh, probably the biggest old Earth creationist group, and I have not heard that, but I would believe that. Uh, he seems like a pretty generous, thoughtful guy, and I would believe he'd have some way of talking about these two groups in a way that's not exclusive. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Okay. okay. Yeah. What is Younger's take on dinosaurs and carbon dating? Why don't they believe that? Or where does that fall in there? Yeah, so that all, that predominantly stems from your reading of Genesis, right? And how do you choose to read Scripture? And usually when, when we talk about this, I like to spend a couple weeks on Genesis first, and you all talked a lot about Scripture earlier in the semester, so that's not the route we took. Um, but it all depends on how you read Genesis, right? And if you read Genesis as a literal scientific textbook, then that's your yardstick for truth, right? And the answer would be, um, it doesn't matter what science has found. If it doesn't measure up to the yardstick of truth, something must be wrong with it somehow. So the dinosaur bones are wrong? Potentially, yeah. Um, so I've heard, I've heard a lot of different arguments about dinosaur bones. Um, you hear people talk about some of, like in Job, there's a behemoth mentioned. So people talk about, oh, well, maybe that's talking about dinosaurs. Um, they would generally reject radiocarbon dating because if the Earth is only um, six to ten thousand years old, then therefore something must be flawed with our views of radiocarbon dating, and therefore. These bones we found cannot be that old. It's simply impossible. I've heard a lot of the argument saying that um, a global flood would ruin all of the science. You know, the yeah. radiocarbon dating, fossilization, yeah. uh, sedimentary layers, all that Absolutely. stuff is ruined because of a large global Yeah, and you'll hear arguments like God could have made the world look as old as God wants to, right? So God is perfectly capable of making a world that looks 4 billion years old, but he just made it 10,000 years ago. That's like yeah. a way... To reconcile. <laughs> yes, ma'am. 
Yeah, that's an excellent question. And uh, I'll be careful because the joke is if there's two Jews in one room, there's three opinions. So like, just like, just like any other religious group, there are people who, who disagree on anything. Um, in general, no. My general perspective is that um, there are less, because like Jews and Muslims also both generally share, share Genesis with us, is that those groups don't read it in these ways nearly as much as some Christian groups do. But that's a good question, for sure. Okay. Yeah? I might be backtracking a little bit. <coughs> okay. How would evolutionary creationists explain Adam and Eve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And I would strongly encourage you to go to BioLogos, uh, which I'll plug again at the end, is the my favorite group on this side of the spectrum. And they just had a podcast episode this week interviewing, I believe it was N.T. Wright, about Adam and Eve. So um, the short answer is if you read Genesis and are asking questions like this of Genesis, you're not getting into some of what Genesis is trying to talk to you about, right? They would say it's like if you read the parable of the prodigal son, right? Well, so what's the parable of the prodigal son about? What's the takeaway message? What's the Sunday school teacher teaching you guys? Come on. <laughs> prodigal son. Your father loves you. Don't be like the older brother. Exactly. That's a takeaway, right? And so there are, that is one of several on a short list of like authorized Christian views on the parable of the prodigal son, right? But if I was trying to tell you that the parable of the prodigal son is about urbanization in first century Palestine and people moving to cities from the country, what would you say? No. It's worse than being wrong. You're missing the point. Exactly. You're asking the wrong question of Scripture. So I think groups like BioLogos would look at all this argument and say, if that's your takeaway from Genesis, um, I think you might be missing the point about what God wants you to know about God's relationship with humanity and nature. Good question. We're, we're coming up on time a little bit, and we ended up sitting here longer than I had planned to, but it was good questions, so that's okay. Any other questions on this? Yeah, sure. Uh, what do they say about how long Adam and Eve were in Eden? We're in Eden. Who's they? Who's Adam and Eve. Any of the groups. What Any of the groups. About how long Adam and Eve were in Eden? Yeah. There in time frame, because I've heard others that say the dinosaurs were outside while they were in Egypt. <laughs> they were there for a long time. You know, so what did they say about how long they were in Eden? Yeah, absolutely. And my general answer is for all of the like interesting technical questions like that, you'd have as many answers as there are different people in young earth and older earth creationist circles, right? So I've heard the devil put dinosaur bones here to confuse us about radiocarbon dating, right? I've, I've heard that Adam and Eve were in the garden and dinosaurs were outside the garden, right? And that's why they aren't in scripture, etc. There's a lot of different answers. Um, and depending on your personal slant, maybe those sound convincing to you. Maybe they sound less convincing to you, right? But there are good Christian groups who agree on all the essentials who would say different varieties of that answer. Did you have a question? Yeah, just real quick. Back to the Darwin conclusion of the origin of the species, when it referenced 
it, he breathed life into one group of one form or many. Yeah. I think that's what it said. Do you think that that was specifically referring to the life, the major life groups that's referenced in our discussion? Yeah, Darwin would have said at the time that um, Darwin definitely believed in an old Earth. Uh, and it's it's funny because this this conversation didn't exist at the time, right? So like it's a really tricky game to put people from history on a modern spreadsheet. So you want to be really careful with that. I think Darwin would say that God breathed life into a, one or maybe a couple life forms, and they have through common descent become all of life. Okay. Yeah. It just seems like in the Old Testament, not only in Genesis, there is a strange question of time. Like, I've yep. wondered, I mean, like, people living for hundreds and hundreds of years, yep. like, do they measure it differently? Like, it's not just Genesis that you're like, how can somebody have been 900 years old? Yeah. Like, you know, so it just seems like there's some room for going, we don't really know how they count time. Yeah, Maybe exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that for sure. And I think... Um, like, talking about evolution in churches is, like, a little delicate sometimes. Telling people to read their Bible more closely is never a delicate conversation, right? Like, I work in youth ministry. Tell your kids to read their Bible more closely. Safest message ever for parents, right? <laughs> so, talking about how to read Scripture more carefully, talking about different genres of Scripture, and how you shouldn't read a parable the same way you should read the book of Deuteronomy versus Leviticus versus the book of Job versus the Psalms, right? So, Scripture is a library, and we should read different parts of Scripture carefully, right? Absolutely. Okay. I think I had a few other things to talk about. Um, there's, so N.T. Wright is a Bible scholar I really like. There's a group called the Bible Project I really like. I think I'm going to close with this. They talk about how the image of God would be seen in Genesis's time period, and I think that's a really good takeaway for us. Like, we've been having conversations about what different Christian groups believe about these things, but I think the image of God is really where, where the focus ought to be in these conversations and how regardless of your views on these three categories, you can still believe in the image of God and how that's important. So I'm going to play just the first minute of this clip, and then we'll break. <laughs> lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got fine, good, and evil. And they would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. That's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, through belief that you can't redo creator God down to any one thing in creation. <coughs> but there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Let's go to page one of the Bible. First person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, it's the pinnacle of all of God's creative He makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. 
But so he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth, to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes, gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential. Yeah. So like, that's a view of how do we ask different questions of Genesis than these questions right here. Right? And one of the answers is that we as people are images of God, so we represent God in this world. We are God's ambassadors, and when people look at us, they should see God. Right? Um, and I think that's, that's a point that I really, I really care about personally. Um, when you talk about insiders and outsider <coughs> groups, I think when you remember that everyone is made in the image of God, um, that's a powerful leveling of the playing field amongst humans. So that's an example of a powerful takeaway from Genesis that isn't concerned with this conversation. Um, and I know we're at time. I will stick around for questions. Um, so thank you very much. And I would recommend, again, um, go have a look at BioLogos if you're interested in these conversations. Um, and if you want to talk to me afterwards or find my website or have me come talk to your other classes, I'd be glad to. Thank you very much. We're, we're going to have a panel discussion next week. It's going to be great. And uh, I'm going to put my email on the board. If you have any like burning questions that you want a you know, bunch of people to discuss and hash out, then send me an email.